from the prize-winning BioBridge Global Headquarters building, it's Hearts of Fire, the podcast for the team at BioBridge Global. We're working every day to save and enhance lives through the healing power of human cells and tissue. I'm your host, David King. We're here with Dr. Rachel Bedard, who's one of my favorite people in the whole organization. Hi, David. <laughs> and I, and I, have to, I have to say, I have a story to, to tell about Dr. Bedard. At the beginning of the pandemic, we decided we needed a video, and we needed someone with some gravitas, and we needed someone with a title, and by golly, she has a title, right? So we, we make up this script, and we send it to her, and she says, oh, this is, this is fine, this is fine, I'll do it, it's fine. And she gets it, she reads it, and reviews it, and we go down to shoot the video, and she gets about three-quarters of the way through it and flubs something. It's all okay, just... just <laughs> Just start, just start over. Okay. So she starts over. She gets a little less into it and flubs something. And the next thing you know, as you can hear now, Dr. Bedard has the giggles. Yep. And, and we, we promised that we would delete all the outtakes. But it's going to be across the organization now that I got the giggles. Well, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just include it in the podcast and not the video itself, which, oh, by the way, was, was hilarious. I, and I think Emmanuel was with you. <laughs> so he, he was there to even witness my, my, my terrible giggles. <laughs> and and you know, the funny thing is that you were the perfect person to do the video. <laughs> but I just kept messing up. Yeah. I just kept messing up, and I just could not. And every time you would say, you know, just start again, I felt like I, I, I'm just going to flub it again. And so I just, uh, yeah. But it worked out did all right. Did we finally get something usable? Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. And it doesn't look all hacked up and edited. Uh, well. Unlike the podcast, <laughs> which I, I worked very hard to edit, and there's always something to fix. <laughs> So, in any case, I always start with people with something very simple. So, how did you get started here? So, I've told this story to a lot of the new employees during NEO. Um, and the way that I got started here is that I was doing my fellowship at, at UT Health. And I was um, in the spring of my fellowship year for blood banking and transfusion medicine. And I was doing my rotation. They sent me over here so for a month to learn about the organization and learn from a blood center because as a fellow, you really needed to have more, um, more experience than what they could give you at the health science center. So I was doing my rotation and I loved it. I rotated through just about every single one of the departments, including corporate communications, which wasn't called that at the time, but Um, I I learned what the process was, what the organization was like, and I loved it. But I actually had just, right when I was finishing, I had just signed my contract for the next year to do a molecular pathology fellowship. So two fellowships. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. But I wanted more experience. So I had signed my contract to do a molecular pathology fellowship, same place, Health Science Center in, in San Antonio. And the night that I finished my rotation here, Dr. Kalman called me and he, he, he basically said, we'd like to offer you a job. And I, and I was really stunned, but kind of in a quandary because I had already signed the other contract. And so I told him, I said, I would love to work with you, 
but I already signed this contract. And he said, well, can't you do part-time work on the weekend? <laughs> said the man who probably worked all the time, right? Yes, exactly. And I thought to myself, yes, I could. <laughs> and he, and that's actually how I started. Um, he, he gave me a position as a part-time independent kind of contractor kind of a position. And he did that for that year that I was in molecular pathology. And my job during that year was as the medical director of the Texas Cord Blood Bank. And he chose that as my main focus for that year because we had just started that organization. And he didn't know much about cord blood banking and I had learned some of it during my fellowship. And so he said, you're the one that should do this. And so that's how I started. Well, that's why we have a lovely picture of you with State Representative Elizabeth Ames Jones at the opening of the Cord Blood Bank ceremonies. Yes, indeed. That was the that was the um, official opening. We had kind of done a softer opening before that, and we actually had banked some units. But that was the big, you know, uh, coming out. Grand, o- grand, <laughs> grand, grand, grand opening. opening. And what year was that? Oh, I want to. 2005, was it? Probably 04 or 05. 04 yeah. or 05. You know, you officially didn't start here until 2011. Yeah. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff before that. <laughs> I kind of did a lot more stuff before official 2011. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. most people, I can go off the success factors and say when they started and what their title is. Your title is correct. Yes. But... The start date is not. No, and I had a lot of other titles way before that. So my very first title, like I said, was that medical director of the Texas Cord Blood Bank. And uh, after that first year, my husband got a fellowship in North Carolina. And I went back to Dr. Kalman and said, I've got twins that are really young, and I don't want to be apart from my husband for a full year. So... I, I'm going to have to go with him. And he said, well, we can figure this out. And so he ended up letting me telecommute kind of uh, via, you know, phone. We didn't do WebEx back then. Um, and I still covered the Texas Cord Blood Bank during that second year when, I, when we were in North Carolina. Once I returned, he actually started me as full-time after that second year as associate medical director. So that was my next title. And from there? And from there, medical director and then chief medical officer. So so when you started way back then, part-time, on the weekends, you know, on a Kalman kind of schedule, yep. what was the organization like? Well, we definitely weren't as big. Um, we, we didn't have, you know, the subsidiaries that you're used to. We did have... Um, uh, Qualtex, and we did not have GenCure. Um, we did have the Texas Cord Blood Bank, but it kind of fell into a different kind of bucket from what you're what you're used to seeing today. We did not have all of the buildings that we have right now. Um, it was it, but it was still had. A, even though it it wasn't the same organization, it kind of was because. We still had that really amazing mission focus of the people. And I remember when I was doing my my rotation here and then coming back on the weekends and such, I 
I always knew that, that I was working with a group of people that were trying to save lives. And they really ha always had that focus. And I would walk around and um, people were just really friendly. And I, that's, I remember the one thing that I loved about this organization from the get-go was the people. And I, I, I also, I should mention this too, this just popped into my brain. So when I started full-time as associate medical director, Gus who gave me my first tour, Irma. <laughs> there you go, full circle, full circle moment there. Yes. <laughs> so she, she showed me around and uh, she has been a wonderful um, colleague ever since. Yes, she's just like the, the, the gem of this place, yeah. isn't she? She yeah. really What are some of the biggest challenges you think we've faced around here since you've been here? So I think, um, I think with the economic downturn starting in 2008, with the housing collapse, and then all of the things that subsequently happened, we really faced a lot of financial difficulties. And I feel like we have rallied as an organization and truly come back to to what I remember it being when I first started here and that's really exciting for me and I I have to give Marty the greatest um, props on this because he really was the one that did this um, he he turned our ship around and I feel like now we're headed in the right direction and I I feel like we are poised you know like like you know poised to help even more people and for another 50 years so. and that, you, you say that and I was going to ask what do you sort of see I mean your job has really expanded to have research and development to have some of these other facets of the organization where do you see us going in the next 50 years wow so I would say the biggest growth area that I would say is going to be in the regenerative medicine arena and we're going to be playing a major role in that and what the organization looks like in 50 years I'm not totally sure but I feel like we will be saving and enhancing lives just like we are now but the medicines and therapies that we will be helping with are going to be vastly different and yet we are going to be able to provide that 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 support to provide those therapies to those patients. And so even though it may look different in 50 years, it's still gonna be the same. We're gonna be doing the same amazing work that we are doing now. Just in slightly different ways, right? Just in a slightly different way. And you know, the, the regenerative medicine therapies that, that, that I think are gonna be um, 50 years from now include things that are tissues, organs that are recellularized and um, you know, very, very precision medicine types of, of transplants. And so I, I feel like we have all of those, those pieces of the puzzle that allow us to translate into that field very easily. Is, is there one particular moment, one particular event from your time here that sort of stands out to you? Wow. Oh, there are just so many. I think, if, actually, if I had to pick one, and I, I really wouldn't want to pick one, um, but if I had to pick one, um, I feel like the starting of the low titer O whole blood 
was one of those moments in time that I felt like our organization was truly the pioneer. And that's hard to do. That is really hard to do in our world. And I feel like that was a legacy that is going to be long lasting for all of us. And that, that has really grown, hasn't it? We don't hear a lot about it, but there's organizations all over the country doing that now, right? They, and they still come to us for help. Um, and, I, I mean, literally four months ago, I, I got a call from a physician who wanted help in, in doing this. So we, we continue to get um, calls from all over, actually internationally, to try to to try to stand something up like this and a lot of the places that call us have a hard time doing it and the reason they have a hard time doing it is because they don't have the buy-in that we had of both the military help us the strack first responders and the hospital the level one trauma hospital all of those pieces of the puzzle had to come together to work together and make it happen and that's why our system is so successful and everybody else thinks that they can be a blood center unto themselves and just stand it up and it'll work and they don't realize the collaboration that's needed that collaboration really was remarkable wasn't it? yes it was and there were there were a lot of people involved in getting that to, to, to come together yep and i'm very proud of that it's really been amazing Tell me just a little bit about what you do when you're not here slaving away at the desk. Most of my time that I, so the two big things that take up my time outside of this organization are um, my husband's business. So he is an interventional cardiologist and he is a solo practitioner. So I help him a lot of times on the weekends. I'll do payroll, believe it or not, I'll do payroll um, for his staff and, you know, pay bills for his business and various things like that. So that takes up a portion of my time. And then the other part is my daughters. So my my girls are now 20. I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, it, yeah, so they're 20 and they're in their junior year at William & Mary. And they're pursuing um, probably a chemistry degree with... Um, maybe a minor in something like bioengineering or even potentially mathematics. So they're working on that right now. And a lot of the time that John and I spend, my husband and I spend, are going up to see them because they're so far away. Um, so we, we try to make a, a long weekend and go visit our, our babies that are not babies anymore. <laughs> I, ha- I have to say that... that- Early on in the pandemic, and you remember this, right, we were looking for interns, and we got involved with the high school program, and these these twins <laughs> show up in the internship program, and boy, they are smart, and they're picking stuff up right away, and they're interviewing people, and finally, at some point, we make the connection, oh, by the way, these two belong to Dr. Bedard. <laughs> yes, yes. I have to tell a funny story, actually. So, you know how they were in the um, newsletter, as a you know, a little article about why they donate, basically, and my daughters have never, um, I, my husband and I have never been ones that 
let them have a lot of electronics when they were little and we didn't encourage them to do any of the Facebook and all of that sort of stuff. So they didn't really have a, a footprint on the internet very much. So when they went to, to apply for internships just this past summer, they were applying and one of them, Rebecca, was accepted at a, a startup called Capra Biosciences. And when she went there, she found out that a lot of the people had tried to troll the internet to find her online and they had a really hard time finding her but they found that article about her and about her and her sister and they said and when we saw that that you were so impassioned about this and and this was we knew you were we knew you were a good egg <laughs> and so it came it came around i mean they found her and it was meaningful wow yeah you just never know, right? You just never know. Well, all right. Well, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. We appreciate you as always. You're welcome. Executive producers of the Hearts of Fire podcast are Adrian Mendoza and Jay Pajinski. The producer is Heather Hughes. Our director is Angelica Sandoval, with technical assistance from Matt Flores. The Hearts of Fire logo was designed by Roberto Esquivel. If you have an idea for the Hearts of Fire podcast, if you'd like to be on it, if you'd like to take over as the host, please email us, heartsoffire at org. Thanks for listening.